Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we sing that and we mean it, not I, not us, not the arm of our flesh, but only because of and through Christ who is in us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this wonderful worship service that you've brought us into. I've, I've loved every line of every song that we sang today. I loved every instrument in the orchestra. What a, what a wonderful gift you've given us. I loved when Brennan read from Ephesians 1 to call us to worship. And then to be able to hear from Adam and Kim, Lord, we, we praise you for every good thing and every good gift from you. God, I personally, I, I loved it all, but I think my, my favorite moment was that of all the things that Adam and Kimberly could have asked for prayer for, their very first request was that they would love Jesus more. That's perfect. And that's our one request, that as we open your word, we would be overcome by the love of God in Jesus Christ. And then our hearts would echo back to you that love with which you first loved us. This we ask, that you might be glorified in the edification and upbuilding of your church for Jesus' glory, amen. First Peter chapter one, reading verses three and four and five. First Peter one, beginning in verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So it was a church a lot like ours, and there was a woman in the church who everybody in the church knew and loved, and something terrible happened to her. Her house burned down. Thankfully, she was safe. She wasn't home at the time, but she lost all of her possessions. And when her pastor found out about it and found out where she was staying temporarily, he got on his horse and went to visit her. That's your first clue that maybe this is an older story than something that just happened today. This was in a rural area outside of London, England, and the pastor was none other than John Newton, the former slave trader who uh, then became a pastor and who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And when he went to visit this beloved woman from his church, he had, a, he had a strange, almost playful smile on his face. I've got a, a, 
It's a, actually a wonderful book. It's the collection of John Newton's letters and there's a picture of him on the cover of it and he has like a, like a playful smile on his face in that picture. That's, what I, that's how I picture this. He went to visit her and he had a, a little twinkle in his eye and a playful smile on his face and he says to her, Madam, I am come to congratulate you. She says, what? You would congratulate me that my house burned down? No. John Newton replied gently, no, not that. There is sorrow in that loss and your church family will surely help you materially through the difficulty of that loss. But madam, I am come to congratulate you for you possess property and an inheritance that nothing on earth can ever destroy and it's yours forever. And then his little playful smile was matched by a little smile on her face and she said, oh yes, pastor, I guess I had forgotten that, but it's true. It's gloriously, forever, eternally true. I wanna open this text this morning, verses four and five of 1 Peter 1. And I wanna tell you four truths that are true about you, four truths that are true about what you have, four truths that are true about what you're going to receive. And I want your identity and your possessions and your inheritance to change the way you think about yourself and to change the way you interact with a world that will cause you great suffering. Four things that are true about you and what you have. Number one, I have an inheritance. I have an inheritance. You know what an inheritance is? You know what an inheritance is not? An inheritance is not a paycheck. An inheritance is not a paycheck for work that you have done. This is important. An inheritance is a gift from your father. Outside of the doors of the church, it's like we live in a world where everybody earns everything or takes everything and grabs everything as much as they can. When we enter the church, we are in an atmosphere, not of earning, but of grace. And it is utterly different than this dog-eat-dog -dog world. What you have been given is not a paycheck for what you have earned. You've been given a gift from your heavenly father. It's an inheritance. Every song that we sang today talked about God's grace, God's mercy. This is an inheritance that's a gift of God's grace. And if I had to guess, I think that Peter has in mind the inheritance of the land that Israel received. He alludes to it, the elect exiles, the, the, the inheritance of the land. We've been seeing all of us on, on our televisions or on our phones, the land of Israel and Gaza. In the news again, we pray for the, for the return of the hostages. We pray for uh, peace. We pray for the, the, uh, the unrighteous and the wicked to cease such behavior and for the protection of innocent life. But you think about that land of Israel. And really the, the whole story of the Old Testament 
is that that land is God's gift to her, but on the back and on the front, she's exiled from it. Remember? On the back, like, like the, the end of the Old Testament is like, the, the, because Israel, she was in the land, but because of her idolatry, she was exiled out of it. And so she's a sojourner and an exile. But even on the front end, God says, here's your land. And then what happens? They can't get in. They don't trust God. And they're wandering around for 40 years till another generation can come in. So they have this inheritance, but Peter's playing with this image because though they had this inheritance, they didn't possess it. Not really, either on the front end or on the back end. God says, I gave it to you, and he really did. But like Israel in that wilderness, like Israel in that exile, Peter is writing to Christians like us who have an inheritance that is sure. We have a salvation that is sure, but in the meantime, we suffer. We have an inheritance. We have a sure title. But in the meantime, we may be temporarily homeless. Our stuff may burn down. We have wealth, but we also may not come into full possession of it yet in our experience of suffering. And look at how he tries to describe our inheritance. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is four, uh, three adjectives, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Notice the adjectives. You ever notice this about the Bible? When the Bible tries to talk about heaven, so to speak, this is going to sound bad. When the Bible tries to talk about heaven, it can't. Because heaven is too good to put into words that could get through our gray matter. And so it's as if all the Bible can do is say what heaven isn't. It's a place with no tears. It's a place with no death. It's undefiled. It's imperishable. But we, we, we can't even get at what it actually is. Our inheritance is imperishable, meaning it is untouched by death. Our inheritance is undefiled, meaning it is unstained by evil. And our inheritance is unfading, meaning it is unimpaired by time. Our inheritance is imperishable, meaning it's untouched by death. Our inheritance is undefiled, meaning it's untainted by evil. And our, and our inheritance is unfading, which means that it's undamaged by time. It's pure and beautiful forever. We have an inheritance. We have this inheritance. And the point of verses three and four and five is that the, the, uh, the, the thrust of it is that a pastor is writing this to a congregation that's suffering loss and saying, the inheritance that God is giving you is so good that even though you suffer now, it's so worth it. And just the thought of your inheritance is enough to pull you through the toughest times. If just the thought of your inheritance is enough to pull you through the toughest times, and it is, then what will the experience of it be? Unfathomable in glory. This reminds you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Remember what he said about treasure in heaven and treasure down on earth? Jesus said, In Matthew 6, Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth, or the old King James translated it, where worm and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or worm nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One more line from John Newton. And it's a line that I wanna bring back. He was riffing off of Jesus. And what, what Pastor John Newton was fond of saying was that uh, life down here on the earth can be good and fun, but he would always say this, but there is a worm at the root of all of it. Using that old King James translation of where worm uh, you know, corrupts it. Life down here is good. It can be great, but there's a worm at the root of all of our enjoyments here. I wanna bring that saying back. Not in a pessimistic way. I'm all for the enjoyments that we can enjoy down here. It's great. But it is true that there's a worm at the root of all of it because people die and people lie about you and thieves break in and steal and glory fades. And it's the best show by your favorite band and they even come out and do an encore but after that, the house lights come up and everybody's gotta go. It doesn't last. There's a worm at the root of all of our enjoyments here. But we have treasure with no moth, no thief, no worm, and it's ours forever. It's, the, 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 the Bible, it, it, it trips over itself in trying to describe what it's like. Remember this from Isaiah 25, Verses six through nine, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well-refined. And the Lord God will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples and the veil that is spread over all the nations. And he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people will be taken away from the earth for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 9. Remember how the psalmist says it in Psalm 36? He says there in Psalm 36, verses 7 through 9, how precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. We have a light and a treasure and a feast with no moth, no worm in it. That's the first thing that's true about you is if you are in Christ, you can say without a doubt, I have an inheritance. Second truth about you, you can say, I am being guarded by God. I am being guarded by God. You see it there in verse four, the inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. I am being guarded by God. We are kept safe. We are guarded by God. Notice, we are not unassaulted. In fact, we are often assaulted, but we are guarded by God. Notice, we are not unattacked. In fact, we are often attacked, but we are guarded by God. 
We are kept safe by God. The reason that the, the, the reason that the people that Peter was writing to was suffering was because of their Christian commitment. It's their Christian testimony that caused them to be mistreated. And yet it is Christ himself who guards them and comforts them in that mistreatment. Verse five is a, a present participle who are being guarded, the ESV translates it. By God's power are being guarded. It emphasizes ongoing, continuous protection. Watching the ball game the other day and a commercial comes on for a home security system. And the whole, the whole point of this system is that it's always monitoring and it's always watching everything and it's always on all the time. And I just wonder, why haven't I ever seen a commercial for a home security system that says it works for an hour and then it randomly shuts off for two hours and then it works for 30 minutes and then it randomly shuts off for 45 minutes? You're never going to see that commercial because that's the, the whole point of being guarded is that you're guarded all the time on all sides. We are being guarded by God. Present tense, we are being guarded by him. So we're being guarded by a God who is outside of time, but he guards us in time, in his perfect timing, by his perfect power and his omnipotence. And notice that it is God's power that guards us, not our own. You are being guarded by God. Someone asks you, who are you? This is what you say. I'm someone who's being guarded by God. Talk about identity issues. Talk about knowing who you are. I'm serious. What if the next time somebody said something mean to you or something bad happened to you, you, you stood forward and said, I am being guarded by God. What a truth. Imagine a castle uh, being besieged by, by just a marauding band of soldiers. But that castle is guarded by a garrison of the most strong, mighty knights. And so even though that castle is being uh, uh, assaulted, the knights who defend the castle are stronger than the soldiers who are coming against it, so all the citizens in that castle are safe. And just because they were up here for the missions update, think about if, if Adam and their newest little, tiny little baby are both inside that castle, which one of them is safer? I mean, let's face it, Adam has some muscles. He, he's, he's, you know, he's kind of ripped for a missionary. <laughs> and this little baby, this tiny little baby can't do anything. So which one is safer? The answer is they're both equally safe because it's neither the baby nor Adam that's doing the guarding. It's the knights who are protecting them. You're guarded by God's power. I, it really doesn't matter how weak you are and it really doesn't matter how strong you are. Remember, we're in an atmosphere of grace, not of earning. It really doesn't matter how weak you are. It really doesn't matter how strong you are. I mention that because there are weak people in this room right now and I mention that because there are strong people in this room right now. And I don't mean to give away any secrets, I won't. But I will tell you this. 
one thing that I get to know as a pastor is sometimes the strong people aren't the ones that you think they are and sometimes the weak people aren't the ones that you think they are. More than once, more than twice, more than a dozen times, I've met with an elder in the church, a deacon in the church, an ABF leader in the church, who in that season was the weak one. And more than once, more than a dozen times, I've met with a wrinkled elderly widow who 80% of you wouldn't know her name and she's stronger than you'll ever comprehend. We don't even know who's strong and who's weak, but it is God who keeps every believer. I have an inheritance. I'm being guarded by God. Number three, I am guarded through faith. Notice that that's what it says. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm being guarded through faith. This is not faith that God has in you. If I ever start preaching about how much God believes in you, you guys need to fire me. The faith goes in the other direction. We trust in God. We believe in God. Does it all depend on God? Yes. But does that mean that we don't do anything? No. All of our salvation depends upon God. And God has called us to exercise faith in him. And so we do. We actively, aggressively trust in him. And we actively and aggressively build up our faith. You are protected through faith. So does it all depend on God? Yes. But are you passive and non-active? Well, no, you're supposed to be active and your continued faith in Jesus is the means that God uses to guard your salvation. Is God doing it? Yes. But are you active in what God is doing? Yes. And your faith in God is, is how that activity works. And notice the way that it is worded is exact. Careful, careful attention to doctrine isn't first and foremost done by reading a big book of theology, as good as that is. Careful attention to doctrine is first and foremost done by careful attention to the words, the prepositions, the phrases of Scripture. And the prepositions in, in the Koine Greek that are used to, of, to, of saying through faith are themselves load-bearing in our theology. The Scripture doesn't say doesn't mean to say by the very prepositions that it uses that we are saved by faith or that we're saved on account of faith. The scripture says intentionally that we are saved through faith. We are saved by Jesus Christ. We are saved on account of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, not on account of our faith. But we are saved through faith because faith is the God-given means by which we receive that, we appropriate that, it becomes ours. Jesus saves. We're saved by Jesus. Faith is God's appointed means for us to lay hold of the gift, which is the work of Jesus Christ for our salvation. I am being guarded through faith. Faith is perfect because faith is not a human achievement. Faith is trust in the achievement of Jesus Christ. And that's why it makes all the sense in the world for us to be saved through faith. So I have an inheritance. I am being guarded by God, I'm, be, I, I, I'm being guarded through faith, and then fourth, I'm waiting for a perfect salvation that is ready 
to be revealed. I'm waiting for a perfect salvation that's ready to be revealed. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm waiting for a perfect salvation that's ready to be revealed. Salvation is used in the New Testament. Salvation is used by Peter in to, to refer to at least three different uh, tenses. Salvation in the past, salvation in the present, salvation in the future. Here he says our salvation is ready to be revealed. When we talk about salvation and we look in the past, we say that when we're saved, we're saved from the penalty of sin. Our sins are forgiven. We talk about justification. When we talk about salvation and we look backwards, when salvation is used in the, in the present tense that we are being saved, we could, we could talk about sanctification, that we're progressively overcoming sin and its damage in our lives, that we're being saved. But here, salvation is looking forward. Salvation in the past, salvation from the penalty of sin, salvation in the present, salvation from the power of sin in our lives, but finally and fully in glory, salvation from the very presence of sin. When our salvation's completed, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. When our Savior comes again, and we'll be like him, for we'll see him just as he is. This future aspect of salvation is what we look forward to, glorification. And it's very intentional that Peter, who is always talking about suffering, is always talking about the glory that's yet to be revealed in salvation. The theme of 1 Peter is salvation and suffering. And paradoxically, it is your faith in Christ that can bring more suffering into your life and more persecution into your life. But it's your very faith in Christ that gives you that salvation, that gives you a joy that endures through the suffering. In fact, don't you get this? It is the believers who endure through the suffering that by their faithful endurance and suffering so prove themselves to be genuine believers. There are folks who think they are genuinely saved who are actually not genuinely saved. The assurance of salvation, is, it, it comes up a lot of places in the New Testament and it's worth talking about. Once saved, always saved is, is as far as salvation being God's gift that's never taken back. That's certainly gloriously true. But, but uh, on the other side of things, we have to be careful to talk about what we really mean by being saved through faith. It is true that when we trust Jesus Christ, we're saved forever, eternally secure. But the Bible is careful about its, its definition that faith is living and faith is ongoing and faith perseveres and faith continues. The Bible has a lot to say about have, having false assurance or having a dead faith or being like that, the parable of the soils to pop up for a little while, but it's not really there. In fact, you could read 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through about 9 as evidences of the perseverance of faith because that's what it is. We are waiting for a perfect salvation that's ready to be revealed. So our faith continues even in the middle of resistance and our faith endures even through persecution. Peter says that we're exiles. Well, it's the fact that we're in Christ 
that makes us exiled from the world, but it's the fact that we're in Christ that makes us joyful exiles who don't give up. Suffering in salvation throughout 1 Peter, suffering in salvation, they keep coming together. And the point that Peter's making is the point that I want to make, which is the, the coming revelation of your full salvation. The coming revelation of your full salvation will more than compensate for your current situation. The coming revelation of the fullness of your salvation will more than compensate for the suffering in your current situation. Notice that he says it's kept in heaven for you. This salvation that's ready to be revealed is kept in heaven for you. Talk about shopping in a furniture store and I'm not talking about cheap junk from China like right off the shelf, like a, a family-owned, one-of-a-kind furniture store with one-of-a-kind pieces in it. And you look through there and you find exactly what you want. And you ask the shopkeeper who owns the place, this is the one I want, how much is it? And, the, and immediately he or she just kind of frowns and says, that one's already reserved. Somebody already put down money on that. And you can't have it because it's being kept for someone else. Kept in heaven for you. Jesus put down his blood on you and you're being kept for him, for a salvation ready to be revealed. And it's ready to be revealed. The old, the old King James translates it prepared in, in heaven for you, kept in heaven for you. And then it says in, in verse four, re, uh, or verse five, ready to be revealed, a fa for, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. It's prepared and it is ready. We're all going to, we're all going to, well, maybe not all of us, maybe you, you don't like Thanksgiving, but almost all of us are going to celebrate Thanksgiving and there's going to be some kind of controversy because someone's going to say, come to the table, oh, is not this or that's not ready yet. This says that our salvation is ready to be revealed. I just picture like at, at Downton Abbey, like when, when they say it's dinner time, and everybody comes and sits down. Like they, they come out with the soup and then they come out with this and like everything is ready before they have the family sit down. This says it's ready to be revealed in the last time. It's ready. All that needs to happen is that bell needs to ring. All that needs to happen is that tiny little sky has to roll back like a scroll. It seems like the world has the upper hand. It seems like, uh, like God's plans for us are shaky if we look at our current situation. But all is ready and all has been prepared and we're waiting. That's why the, the thrust of 1 Peter is that our existence derives its reality from the future, not from the present. Our existence derives its reality from the future, not from the present. We derive our direction based on the full salvation that's going to be ours. And that's what we focus on. And that's our great hope. We have an inheritance that they cannot touch. We are indeed to be congratulated for we have an inheritance that fire and moth 
and thief cannot touch. And it's kept in heaven for you. We're being guarded by the power of God. Story comes down to us from church history, and I, I'm sure there's some truth to the story that a king calls in a, a Christian woman, a wealthy Christian woman. This king, like so many kings of this little planet of ours, is, uh, is just proud and arrogant and has decided to hate Christians and try to stamp out Christianity. And so the church in that city was meeting in the home of this wealthy woman because she was a Christian. And the king calls her in and says, you need to stop confessing Christ. You need to say that you're no longer a Christian, that Jesus is no longer your Lord. And the woman stands straight up and says, this I will not do, for Jesus is the Lord. And the king says, if you don't, if you don't deny Christ, I'm going to confiscate all your money and all your property. To which the woman replies, go ahead. I have an inheritance that you cannot touch. And I have property that you, that you cannot do anything to. The king, growing more frustrated, says, well, not only am I going to take all your money, but I'm going to banish you from this kingdom, and you can never set foot here again. To which the woman replied, that's fine. I'm already in exile. I became an exile the minute that I was, that I was baptized in Jesus' name, that I believed in him. I'm a sojourner in an exile already. That's fine. And the king, just madder than mad, says, well, well, you've got to say that Jesus is no longer Lord or I will have you executed. To which the woman, with a twinkle in her eye, says, I already died. I already died. And the life that I now live, I live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. When what you call death happens to me, that is but the entrance into the fullness of salvation that is prepared for me. So let's go ahead and go. And this story goes, the king turned to his advisors and to all of his wise men, flabbergasted and said, what can we do with a person like this? There is no way to get at them. If you will believe and remember these four truths about yourself, I'm telling you, there's no way they can get at you. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord Jesus, in your grace and in your great mercy, Feed your lambs. Lord Jesus, in your grace and in your goodness, provide for us the assurance and the hope that we need. Heavenly Father, we pray for those here who are beleaguered and weakened. Heavenly Father, we pray for those here who really are weak, but they think that they're strong. We pray that each and every heart would cease to rely on the arm of the flesh and on the calculating logic of the human brain and that each and every heart here would trust fully in the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, 
and his soon return. Bless your church and grow her up in the most holy faith. Give her the endurance that she needs in these days. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.